my therapist that I still work with today had this presence about her that I wanted so badly. Like when I was around her, I really knew that she was just listening to me. She wasn't thinking about her grocery list. She wasn't thinking about like what she wanted to do. And I think that you could feel that from somebody when they're just listening to you. And over time, I realized that that was just being where I was and just being present with people. And there was one customer I met, her name was Linda. She introduced me to her fiance. She introduced me to her son. And she just like would come every day and just say like, Helen, this is my family. Helen, this is like my people. And she was like, this is the girl that I was telling you about. And just the impact of like presence really changed the way that I interacted with them. everyone. Welcome to Open Mind Night, a show that talks about everything mental health and mental illness related. I am your host, Robin Tomanaha, licensed marriage and family therapist. Joining me on this episode is my guest, Helen Garcia. She is an ACSW in Los Angeles, California. She received her MSW from Cal State University, Northridge, and she is currently a private practice clinician and coordinator for Yellow Chair Collective. Along with her career in therapy, she also has a podcast called Think Weird, which discusses the intersection between creative entrepreneurship and mental health. Hi, Helen. Hi, Robin. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. I actually rebranded Think Weird into Helen's Mindset Strategy podcast. It's a lo- it's a longer title, but I think that it just says what it is. So, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. Um, I have a lot I of appreciate questions. the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I have a lot of questions. So I think you know, first of all, we'll get started. Is um, curious about just your journey to becoming Mm. a fellow therapist and kind of what led to it and what that was like for you. Yeah. So I'm an immigrant. I immigrated here when I was around six years old, my parents and I had like a total of $1,000 in the bank. When we immigrated here, my dad couldn't find a job because he didn't have a visa. So my mom started working and I didn't know this at the time, but I had this like inner dialogue that I just had to keep it together. I just had to keep it together and like keep going and chugging along. So I was that kid that like kept her head down. I got straight A's. I never did anything wrong. But underneath the surface, I noticed that there was something wrong where I couldn't laugh. And people asked me how I was doing. I would say good. But when I would say good, it was with a frown on my face. And my parents would pick me up at 6 p.m. every day. And the YMCA counselors would ask me, how are you doing, Helen? And they would say it in such an animated way and they're trying to make me laugh and I'd be like, good. And it was like that for like most of my childhood until I dated my first boyfriend and he started telling me about like how he was starting therapy, how there were free counseling services. And so I just decide like, you know what, maybe I, 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 I could talk to somebody. And it wasn't the best experience because the therapist like, told me there was nothing wrong with me, but I knew that she was wrong. 
because a lot of people, I didn't have the words for it, but I was also struggling with like self-harm and depression and anxiety. I was always like hypervigilant. And so when I, I'm still working with the same therapist that I have now, but she started to educate me on the first generation immigrant experience. And I remember just feeling like I was seen, I was heard, I was allowed to experience all of the emotions that I had. And so it culminated into this realization of, I want to do this for other people. And I was like a waitress in grad school, just figuring out my way. And the same customers would like come up to me and tell me that I should be a therapist while serving them like a cup of coffee. I would talk to them while making their latte every morning at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. And I was like, if I could just get paid to talk to people like this for the rest of my life, this would be the most beautiful experience ever. And so I applied to like UCLA, CSUN, um, Dominguez Hills, like all of these different grad schools. And I got a full ride to CSUN and I was like, that's okay. So I decided to go. And it was just like one of those things where I felt like everything was lining up or like the universe was for me doing this, you know? Yeah. So that's how it happened. That's amazing. So out of curiosity, those, um, those customers, right. That you Mm. saw that were like, Hey, you you should be a therapist. What do you think they picked up on from you that led them to say that? Well, my therapist that I still work with today had this presence about her that I wanted so badly. Like when I was around her, I really knew that she was just listening to me. She wasn't thinking about her grocery list. She wasn't thinking about like what she wanted to do. And I think that you could feel that from somebody when they're just listening to you. And over time, I realized that that was just being where I was and just being present with people. And there was one customer I met. Her name was Linda. She introduced me to her fiance. She introduced me to her son. And she just like would come every day and just say like, Helen, this is my family. Helen, this is like my people. And she was like, this is the girl that I was telling you about. And just the impact of like presence really changed the way that I interacted with them. Yeah, that's amazing that you provided them with that experience, you know, even through something that wasn't like a totally different, you know, service. And that's, it's interesting that you say that. I think, um, you know, for me as well, like through therapy, being a client has also helped me in my practice and like kind of my do's and don'ts maybe, but specifically Mm. those, those do's and like what was helpful and what was very, very, very transformative. Um, and those little nuggets, I think sometimes we don't always learn in grad school, um, which is why I'm so such a big proponent for, you know, everybody, you know, receiving therapy, like including, Mm. you know, therapists, cause we deserve it, you know, as well. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, Beautiful because I don't think that you understand what the client is going through and what you wish the therapist would ask until you're on the other side of it. And you're like, man, I wish my therapist pushed me this way or like, I wish I would have been like this. And I think that it like, I think a lot of people, me included, just wanted someone to not judge us and to like fully accept us. And I feel like it acts as an as an alternative warm blanket around someone that just makes you open up in a deeper level. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it, you know, came time for you to do therapy, like be the therapist, you know, and be in that other chair, you know, and Mm. being able to provide that, 
uh, for a client. What was that like for you, that experience? I realized I made too many assumptions about who people were, like my first couple of sessions. And I picked up on that because they would correct me. They'd be like, no, it's like this or no, it's like this. And I still find myself doing that. But because I was in the other side of it, I, I knew what that felt like to be preconceived and like pegged into a, a like a square when you were round hole. So I like every session, I would just have this journal or this like little notepad and I would write down what I wished I would have done differently. And so like my first couple of actually my first year as a therapist, it was, it was the nervousness and the anxiety of having to sit with a client and having to feel like I had to be like my therapist, which was not, it was like the insecurity that I had to get over because I'm in my twenties. I'm not in my sixties, like my therapist, I don't have decades of life experience and like therapeutic processes that I've like cultivated into this like calm motion. So my role my first year was who am I as a person? What can I give? And what are my limitations? And it was just about reaching that self-awareness, that kind candor and that patience, because I didn't think I had that until I became a therapist. It's so interesting what comes up when we're the therapist, you know, yes. and how we're kind of like um, confronted with ourselves, but in like a different way, you know, and I love that you like afterwards were journaling, um, very cognizant about like, okay, what am I going to do? Like moving forward, you know, with this particular client, because so much stuff comes up, right. There's like pressure. I know for me, it was like pressure, like, what am I going to say? Or, you know, as opposed to just like, um, letting things unfold organically, which I think you were naturally good at even when you were providing a different service like you were there in the present moment with people and just gave people like your your presence and listening to what they were saying mm. mm -hmm. how how did you navigate things when you first started robin like what what insecurities did you have to get over i think for me i'm very much a perfectionist so for mm. me it was like being super prepared like wanting to be over prepared and so for me it was just um getting out of my head and being very directive and just being a little more non-directive or sitting with more the emotions more. And um, there were times when, you know, we all have certain clients that really bring up a lot that are super challenging or that, um, I don't know, hit us in a different way as far as yeah. the feels, you know, where I'm like, man, you know, and, or for sometimes like some similarities, you know, and mm. so I remember at one point, I think it was at some point when I was in uh, my agency days to like community mental health, where I actually sat in the other chair, like for certain clients before our session would start like five or 10 minutes before I would sit on the couch and wow. be looking at the chair that I would be sitting in just to kind of, and I kind of review that case, kind of what was talked about and just sit there and feel it. You know, because I think sometimes for me, it was like getting outside of myself and actually back into that client spot. Wow. Mm -hmm. So powerful. Yeah. <laughs> so powerful. Because I think that you even sitting in that chair, like, we don't know how fast we're going when we're prompting somebody. And sometimes it's like teaching a kid how to run before they can even walk. Yeah. Totally yeah. true. That's totally true. Yeah. Um, 
And so other than, you know, what you just shared, any other things that have like, or have had um, an impact on like you and like your journey with like your own mental health? Mm. I, when I was in college, my last year of college, I did two things. College was like really impactful for me. I would drive from my house, my parents' house to college, which was like a two or three hour drive because I wanted to save money. It was like that hustle immigrant mentality, working all the time, like going to school all the time. And I listened to this podcast. Um, It's one of the reasons why I started a podcast called The School of Greatness. And he talked about the human potential and your ability to change your mind and understanding what limiting beliefs were. And it got me into reading a lot of books on neuroscience and habit formation and neurodevelopment and um, biographies about Michelle Obama. And I realized that like, it was my mind. Like there's this really big um, like concept I learned while listening to that podcast every day, driving the school. It was that your setbacks are setups for the things that you're going to do in the future. and. I've realized that like my immigrant experience, my difference in culture actually made me unique as an individual to understand people that have experienced setups, that have experienced depression. Because if I hadn't been through the experience of self-harm, I couldn't then have compassion for the person sitting across from me who was struggling with that and not judge them and not feel sorry for them. Because ultimately, It's a way of coping with tough life experiences. And those experiences of just like sitting in my car and hearing someone else talk about a sexual abuse as a man, or like hearing someone talk about how human interaction is like chemistry. You have a different reaction to someone when you're sitting across from them. It was one of those like powerful experiences to me where I was like, oh, human conversation has the capacity to change people's mindset. And has the ability to just like overwhelm you with grace and like love so that you can be the person that you need to be for the future. I love that. Yeah, I think um, to go through challenges and struggles, as difficult as it is in the moment, it is helpful as a therapist and being a therapist for the reasons that you just said. There's a book. I think there's a book along the lines of like being a, I, which one of the books I don't have, as you can see behind me, because um, I have so many that talks about like, I think being like a wounded healer and not wounded in a way that there's like anything negative, but just to go through struggle. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. Uh-huh. And I think that's when you even think about like people that have changed the world, like Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, the Buddha, Jesus, like you think about rabbis they're impactful because they've had wounds before. Like, even if you think about like the the story of Siddhartha, how he went through poverty and you think about Martin Luther King, how he like people wanted to kill him. Like people relate to wounded people because they know that they've been through the same thing. It's why a lot of marketers like talk about the origin story behind a brand. Like you just understand the context of that. Like, and I think that's what makes people relate to another human being. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Speaking of books, like um are there any other particular books that have been like or authors that have been super impactful on you throughout your life? 
Yeah. So I really love Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. <laughs> Have you read it? No. It's such an incredible book. It, Phil Knight founded Nike and it was originally called Blue Ribbon Sports. And he talks about like the 30 or 40 years that he endured just like coming up with the idea, being a runner, going to like the University of Oregon and then going to Stanford. And what that book really taught me was patience. When you have an idea that has the possibility of changing the world, it takes so much patience to like do other careers, to be in a, He was an accountant for a little bit. He worked in like other stores while being in debt for like decades, just like pouring into Nike, pouring into Nike. And he paid his intern like 30 bucks for this swoosh logo. That was a $30 logo and it became a billion dollar brand, but it was after the Michael Jordan signing. And so like, it's just one of those books that just really changed my perspective of you see influencers nowadays, like posting a TikTok for 17 seconds and they become viral and then they get brand deals. And I'm realizing that like the context of social change and like the human heart takes decades to build a reputation in. And so I'm just that book. I really love The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho because I think that um, the discovery of the personal legend takes a journey. So both of those books have the same like underlying tones of just being open to the moment, being receptive to what the world has for you. And oddly enough, because of my teenage angst at the time, Into the Woods by John Krakauer, that was a really good one because it questioned life's societal norms through the context of like a real person. And it made me question what I believed about success. Cause in the book, it talks about a man who completely disconnects from the world and like questions whether or not school is for him, whether or not like life is for him. And he goes on this like trek or hike or journey and meets all of these people that are um, like pariahs of the world. And he finds comfort in them. But ultimately his plight in the end is that he doesn't like, he doesn't coerce to what society has for him fully. So I think what the book taught me was that you need to be in the middle. You can't be too pariah-ish or like in the, in the periphery and you can't be too mainstream. You have to just be in the middle and know what's right for you. So those three books have been the most impactful. Yeah, I love it. I, um, as you describe those two, it, what came up for me was like the journey in the mm. discovery and also the process of it, you know, um, and going circling back to what you said about like this kind of immediate gratification, you know, posting something yeah. and then getting, you know, that's not always how it works, you know? And I yeah. think for those of us also in private practice, you know, we, that's something I had to sit with was <laughs> the patience in it unfolding as it's going to unfold and the time mm. that it takes to put into something and building a brand or building like yourself and all that, that all takes time. It can get there at some point, but it may not be immediate and that's okay. And I think even when me, like when I reflect back on like my time thus far in private practice, like which I started like 2018, it took a, it took a bit, but I really throughout all of that really discovered a lot about myself throughout wow. the different points and that building process, like kind of my identity as like an entrepreneur or like a business owner. And how do I separate that with being a therapist? You know, there were so mm. many things along the way. And if it was, if it was really that quick, super, super quick, I'd, 
I don't know how that would have gone. Like, I don't know if I would have learned as much. Oh, good. You know? That's so good. I actually started um, a business in 2022 last year, May. And it was because I was reached out by um, like two brands, one startup and one, actually two startups to like uh, co-create with them. And I put so much pressure on myself that I started making money right away in the business. Like I started generating cash flow, but I couldn't separate it from my identity. And so I like didn't make money for like a couple months. And what I realized about myself was like, I got so stuck in the money that I forgot about the execution and the patience. And that's the season that I'm in right now of like, man, how do I, how do I generate cash flow while also not straying from vision? And I, I almost wish that I wasn't successful right away. I almost wish that it was that long game, you know, so that I could build the foundation. And so I've completely switched my business model from like providing, um, like coaching one-on-one because my, my business on my own outside of working in like the private practice that I work for is speaking to young adults, like doing brand deals with different podcast consulting. And I just want to provide free resources right now. And it's like one of those things where like, I I'm intentionally slowing myself down so that when I become the person that I need to be, when the business does take off, I'm going to be prepared as an individual and not just like it's not about the money for me, you know, and I'm trying to not make it about the money for me. That's huge. It's almost kind of like re getting, like getting reconnected with like your intention of it. And I, it sounds like you also see the benefit in slowing down, which I commend you for, because that is hard to do. Like setting those limits and actually actively slowing things down for that purpose. Um, Cause sometimes it's hard to not get caught up in things. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually reading um, Crushing It by Gary Vee. And one of his principles is like, so many people want the immediate gratification of getting money. $5,000, okay. But it's like, is this serving your audience? Is this really giving to them? And he has this principle called like jab, 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 right hook. And what that means is give so much that when you do ask, people trust you. And so is the product that you're giving servicing the greater need the audience has? And so his perspective is like, before I'm even speaking in the event, I'll follow the hashtag or I'll follow the people that have signed up for the event and I'll figure out who they are as a consumer, who they are as a person. And I just want to give it away. And he's like, here's the thing. Most people won't even take action on what you tell them. So why not just be generous about what you know? And people will buy the experience because they have had this relationship with you. And what I've seen from Gary V's career is that he's been doing this for like over 20 years now, almost 20 years now. And his consumers became business owners and are now working with him. But it's taken decades of just building that foundation of give, 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 give to eventually work because he doesn't sell $5, $10 products outside of his books. He sells like $10,000 products, $20,000 products to people that have built this foundation with him and have followed him through his own journey. So I want to live my life similar to that, where I'm giving so much that eventually they become my business partners because they've taken my advice, you know? Yeah. So many things are about that. And also just 
at, at its foundation, building relationships and connections. Yes. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's what we learn as therapists, you know, because for a while I was like, man, how do I use what I learn in therapy and translate it into business? But it's almost like the other way around, like your ability to build the foundation relationship sets you up for that because entrepreneurship is about relationship. Yep. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, while we have a few minutes, um, is I'd like to get to know a little bit about private practice stuff, right? Yes. Specifically, like kind of who you work with and kind of why it's meaningful for you with, you know, the people that you serve. Yeah. I love working with young adults and creative entrepreneurs because I know what they're, they're thinking and I know where they're going, um, specifically around like mindset, education, limiting beliefs, self-doubt. I've been through my own like case of trauma. So being able to just like sit with them and like really hear their stories. And I realized this only after working in private practice starting like five months ago, where I love the immigrant experience. I love learning where people come from. I love learning their culture. I love learning their setbacks and just like the intricacy and the human dynamics of where someone is coming from just really excites me. Like I get, I get so riled up and it's one of those things where like I can work a 10 hour day and still be so happy. And sometimes I'll talk to my sister or my mom and they'll go, you were at work. Why are you so, so happy? Why are you so happy? <laughs> like, I was like, cause I love my job. And so my, whenever I'm at my parents' house, my mom's always like, okay, you take out the trash. You do this for me. You do this. Cause you're, you're, they're not used to seeing someone so energetic after a long day. And I really didn't know this at the time, but like, it is true what people say when you love what you do, you almost never work a day in your life or like sometimes the most stressful days are the, are happy in comparison to like a great day at an awful job. So yeah, it's just, I love it. Yeah. You have your niche. Yes. Right? That's it. AKA yeah. passion. Cause that's definitely the case where it's like, you look forward to it or it gets you energized as far as, mm. as, as opposed to depleted. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, could you throw out like your social media handles or if uh, anywhere the listeners can go, if they would like to find out more about you and all the things that you're doing? Yeah. So I recently actually made my own website. It's called HelenGarcia.org. And it's a place where people can go to get like all these free resources. My intention is to provide free mindset edu education to young entrepreneurs. So like every day I'm posting something on my blog, like mindset tricks on my blog, habit formation. So HelenGarcia.org. I have a podcast um, that was originally called Think Weird. It's now called Helen's Mindset Strategy Podcast. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. Um, my YouTube handle is at Helen Garcia. So you can just find me on YouTube. All the podcast episodes are there. If you prefer just watching it rather than listening to it. And I'm on LinkedIn at oh. Helen Garcia. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. So what I'll do is I'll put all of that in the show notes so that the listeners can easily click on it to find out more about you or to reach out to you. Um, awesome. but thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. This was 
super helpful, informative, and it was just, it was just fun having you on too. Thanks, Robin. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I love listening to your podcast. So it's Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this was informative or helpful. If you think this episode may be helpful to others that you know, be sure to share this episode with them. The resources mentioned and the contact information for today's guest are listed in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please leave us a rating. If you would like to stay up to date, please subscribe to this podcast and follow the podcast Instagram at OpenMindNightPod. Also, this podcast is not psychotherapy or counseling. If you need to speak with a professional, you should find one local to you and contact them directly. If this is an emergency, please call your local emergency number or go to your nearest emergency department.